Hey guys, what's up? It is week 218. I think we're at 218. Um, I did reorganize my room a bit. I figured um, I started to kind of like I uh, put the perimeter, all the Blu-rays on the perimeter because I, I feel like there's like a little bit of a pain. This is the crazy collector talk like here. Um, so like I, I don't like how rough these are. I'm like they could scuff up the slip covers. I'm insane. I start to worry about scuffs on the cases that I can replace, and I've I've always been kind of crazy about that kind of stuff. But if you notice, there's a change of scenery here. I put all the DVDs on these kind of shelves uh, in the center. I actually feel like it looks better. Although there's now a gap in the major shelf, so it's like I don't know. I'm crazy. Let me. Uh, I'll probably do a tour eventually when I get this room completely how I want it. I probably should hang up some autographs and stuff. Also, I am particularly ranty um, in the uh, interview, I mean interview, review with uh, Jeremy on, on uh, Pink Flamingos. So uh, bear with me. It's like two steps away from uh, the Simpsons joke, old man yells at cloud. It's a very get off my lawn kind of thing. But it's just, uh, you know, I felt like it kind of inspired the conversation a little bit. So I guess we're going to hop into the reviews. And the first one is a doozy. It is six films and a feature-length documentary, so seven titles in whole. And this is Weird Wisconsin, the Bill Rabane Collection. Uh, yeah, so it's a regional filmmaker here um, that was located in Wisconsin. Uh, he was originally, they break down the story in the documentary where he was from and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, regional filmmakers are, are a big interest for me, even if I don't love everything they do. Um, there's a certain charm and quality about their movies that really can't be duplicated. It's very much them. It's very much a product of where they're from. So uh, you get a flavor and a taste of it. Um, Wisconsin is an interesting place, too, as they point out in the documentary, as far as uh, having films come from there. So the first film in here is Monster Agogo. Um, the title is, it's kind of infamous. I believe that I've heard of this title several times and just never watched it because it was always considered such a, a turd of a movie, to be honest. And uh, this is partially directed by Bill Rabane, who came from uh, making like, um, what is it, industrial films and whatnot, similar to George Romero, another regional filmmaker, one of the ones that actually had massive success, uh, along with John Waters. So he basically worked on industrial films, and his first feature-length film was A Monster, A Go-Go, which actually opens up with a with a really goofy, strange song, which I thought was kind of catchy. Uh, what happened was it wasn't completed, or they lost some footage when Herschel Gordon Lewis took it over to distribute, so uh, he then shot some more footage and completed the movie. It's a very short film. It's a black-and-white kind of sci-fi-style horror film of astronaut goes into space, and he comes back different, or he brings back some sort of creature. We've seen it before. Think um, the Quater Mass Experiment, which was before this, which is a really cool film, and uh, tons of other things. The Incredible Melton Man was kind of a, that in style from the 70s, but yeah, it's a classic tale. It came from space kind of deal. So essentially, what we have here is this astronaut. He uh, his ship crash lands. And he is completely disappeared. The person that found the crash is a police officer. He's dead. So a bunch of scientists and people involved with the astronauts start to kind of do some research. And they realize what had happened was that possibly this astronaut came in contact with some sort of substance that they thought would, uh, you know, it's something that he was wearing amplified it. And he comes back giant. Um, the um, 
I guess the mutant astronaut is played by a real-life giant who was from Vaudeville Axe and all that. And he kind of just wanders around the countryside and anyone that comes in contact with him dies from radiation poisoning or whatnot. It, the movie, um, the, the basic plot, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound bad. That sounds very typical. But uh, unfortunately, uh, the movie's kind of patched together with narration. And there is literally a scene where a scientist had found him before, but we don't know this. We found out the narration, um, and he had uh, put him in like a radiation-free room or something. But you start thinking, like, how the hell did that scientist get close enough to him to not die from the radiation? It's just like a sloppy, so much stuff that just doesn't really go well. There's no transitions, and there's just no reason, like, how this got this to point A to point B without that narration. You can tell it's patched together. It's pretty much a non-ending as well. Um, it just kind of abruptly ends, and you're just like, oh, shit. Um, but the abrupt ending kind of makes you scratch your head and be like, I guess that's kind of... I don't want to say use the term clever because the movie as a whole is not particularly very good. And Bill Rabane himself does not have much love for the film. So it's like the worst movie ever. Um, I don't know about all that because it's short and it's not that hard to get through. And it does have a goofy, catchy thong. There's a scene in the movie where it completely stops the thing, obviously, to pad the runtime where a, a woman's car breaks down and we get the stereotypical, you know, almost, if you, you know, this was made in the 60s, it's very 50s style thing where it's like, I can't fix my car. I'm obviously, I'm just a generic woman. Yeah, that kind of bullshit. And the guy, this truck driver's like, well, I'll help you out, darling. And um, the funny thing is, that's probably one of the better scenes in the film. Um, yeah, I can't really give this one a strong recommend, but uh, like I said, it was kind of a patched together save film. This disc uh, for this movie actually has a, a um, straight shooter little 10 minute like clip of Bill Robane talking about the movie he's still alive um, so that's cool and it also has uh, I think like a music video kind of deal like an industrial kind of some of his shorter films on here as well so that is the first picture a uh, monster a go-go okay the next film on the disc is invasion from inner earth you know what I'm gonna pull out the actual disc from the set knocking down my little cheat sheet there um, so yeah, here is the actual disc with Monster Agogo and Invasion from Inner Earth on there. The, it has a reversible cover. You'll see all that in the, uh, in the, uh, video thing here. But, yeah. So it's these thin discs within the case with the box, which I kind of like. So, uh, this one actually has, like, a little, I have a, a closeness, but not in a good way to Invasion from Inner Earth. Um, here, here's a big box. I thought I'd show this of, uh, Invasion from Inner Earth that I have. Um, I actually saw this movie at a very young age, and I know you're like, Dave, talk about the movie. Don't talk about your your experiences with the film, but I don't have all that much to say about the movie, so I guess I'm just like kind of padding the runtime similar to Monster A Go Go. But anyways, I originally saw this movie under the title They, and if you guys have ever seen, maybe I'll pull up a picture of the cover of the clamshell of They. In the video store, it was a very cool blue clamshell, and it had a close-up of this cartoon-drawn alien face, and I was like, Oh my, ma, can I rent this? Ma, ma. And, you know, my mom would let me rent here and there some stuff. She'd always PG, PG-13, even at age like four or five. She's like, okay. She started, she was not going to let me rent like Cannibal Ferox or something or make them die slowly. But something like they, she was like, I think it was PG on the box. She's like, sure, whatever. So I rent they, I put in the movie and I am immediately bored to tears. Like ungodly bored to tears. Uh, I just can't stand it. Me, I show some of it to my friend and we're, we're laughing about this character. He's like, I don't like it. It smells. We keep saying that. So they um, was a movie that I always considered one of the worst 
times I've ever had with a film. Years down the line, I see that big box at uh, Exchange or a, a flea market or something. It was a, a Allied Exchange, like. 10, 15, 10, 15 years ago or something like that. And I didn't know it was they. So I pick it up and grab it and then later doing research. I was like, oh shit, I just bought they. Um, so when I saw that Arrow was putting out the Bill Rebane set and I was like, oh, he did Invasion from Inner Earth. Um, I, I had seen one of his films, Giant Spider Invasion. I knew he did Blood Harvest. So. But I was like, oh shit, let's time to revisit this one in uh, remastered Blu-ray. So I start watching it and the music's really catchy. I'm like, I like the music here. It's really catchy, really interesting. And it is just such a slog for me to get through. This one just doesn't work for me. Like, I see, like, sci-fi elements in there. Um, but it's like an alien movie without any actual aliens. There's, like, smoke coming out of the ground and people are disappearing. And it's like a paranoia film trapped in a barn. It's very, in like, a lodge in the snow and everything. And it's an isolated film. It's very talky. And that's pretty much the entire gist of it. Lots of talking here and there. And it just doesn't do much for me, to be honest. And, and like, I don't have that much to say about the movie. Um, it's just, uh, it's a slog for me to get through. It's my least favorite in the set, if that says anything. And, and it's funny that this movie genuinely came from that, that time with uh, watching it young, I, I just always had a problem with it as well. So, um, yeah, there's also a straight shooter shot for this one. But I feel like there was uh, there's a brand new interview with historian and critic Kim Newman about the films of Bill Robaine. Um, there's also that in there, which is funny. Uh, he talks a little bit about his career. And he even brings up people like Al Adamson and says that I think Bill Robaine is more obscure than those kind of guys. Um, anyways, this movie, um, the music is clever and... It's just uh, it's just something that I think that Bill Robain would start to use this kind of stuff like the sci-fi paranoia quality and he would kind of um, do his best version of that in the next film that's going to come up. So, yeah. Okay, the next film from the Bill Robain set is The Alpha Incident. Um, this also includes the demon Ludlow, Ludslow on this uh, disc. And that's funny. Uh, the Alpha Incident is made in 1978 and right away the, the cast pops up. I see... Um, George Buckflower. I was like, okay, now we're in good company. And I see Ralph Meeker. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I like Ralph Meeker. Good character actor from 60s and before, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, maybe he probably passed away. So I don't remember when he died. But he's in a lot of B-movies that I saw. He's in Without Warning, which I think he's maybe even made in the early 80s. So he had to live a little bit longer than that. And I always knew him from The Dirty Dozen and stuff and Food of the Gods. So I was happy to see Ralph Meeker in here. And there's another guy in here, John John Gaff or something like that. And he looks uh, very, he had like a good screen presence about him. I was like, man, that guy is too good to not be in other things. And I looked him up and he is in a slew of things. He is uh, actual friends with Buck Flower. I think they ran a small company together. And seeing him in this with Buck Flower made perfect sense because they both are in Berserker together. And he looks completely different. He doesn't have his beard. So essentially, this this is right up my alley. This is downbeat, nihilistic, nihilistic, or whatever. I would say Neil or Nile, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, 70 stuff. And that that's right in my wheelhouse. I love that. Um and, and some of the supplemental features, they compare it to The Crazies by George Romero, and that's immediately exactly what I thought. I was like, this is a lot like The Crazies right off the bat. So we have this guy who's uh, this bio biological kind of warfare kind of guy hired by the government to transport this, this chemical or whatever it is, a bacteria. They're not sure what the hell it is. It came from space, uh, Mars, I believe. It's some sort of Martian germ uh, to transport it to a certain area by train. 
Um, there's other bureaucratic people that don't think that's a good idea. Scientists basically are upset with the uh, people in charge to pick this kind of way to transport it. Um, Buck Flower is this super strange character that um, is kind of work, kind of works on the train, and uh, he, he just um, basically is a nosy kind of guy. He's got some of the weirdest lines in here. He's like, "My Aunt Petunia's pig." Um, I, I love Buck Flower. Um, we, me and uh, Dustin and Brandon always used to, when we had our Shut Up Brandon podcast, always used to do a Buck Flower and Royal Dano as like the battle of the drunkard actors. And Buck Flower always cracked me up because he'd be like, oh, we get scandered, oh, we get scandered, and fucking dies. And, and from Wishmaster, we just always do that. Like, that ain't no fog bank out there. But Buck Flower is just such a uh, like an iconic character actor. He's really good in this. It's a strange performance. Um, but even the stranger, more strange performance in here is Ralph Meeker. And according to the... Um, um, you know, uh, Bill Rabane, uh, he had just suffered from a stroke before this movie. So um, he has this strange kind of um, almost really like uh, uh, meekish uh, performance. Um, meeker, meekish, yeah. Uh, so he has this 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 performance that he's really kind of introverted and just doesn't have much aggression and is kind of just keeping to himself. And I feel like I've met a lot of people like this. These kind of just older guys who are probably drunks that just don't talk very much and just go with the flow and don't have much to say. And I, it was like a nuanced performance where I was like, and it kind of stuck, struck me strange. It's like, well, he just had a stroke previously. I was like, I, and I don't even really see that necessarily. I see that he's docile, but the performance felt legit and genuine and different from his other stuff. So I was like, that was a very good performance for me. And it just... It kept me intrigued, to be honest. Like um, the cast kept me intrigued. The, the performances are all solid. And there's only really five people in the movie, so what happens is, um, the, of course, on this train, this this bacteria or whatever gets out, and this whole kind of train station has to be isolated. There's only five of them, and over time they have to stay up. Um, they're getting calls to to do the next step, and they start to lose their grip. You get to know them a little bit more and the relationship comes out and paranoia and all that stuff and and the uh the kind of the john character um he starts to have these kind of outbursts towards the guy and uh it's it just a lot of this stuff hits home especially during covid19 times or whatever it just felt legit and it definitely had its finger on the pulse um like i said very reminiscent of george romero films which is a, a big compliment for me and the downbeat ending was perfect everything about the movie was perfect on that kind of level and i thought this was his finest film i thought that that sci-fi element that he's trying to do with invasion from inner earth and all that kind of paranoia kind of came together for the alpha incident and made a really good movie there's a little documentary or featurette on here that brings up stuff like um uh geez the adronomon strand uh the Dronome strand or whatever which i thought so as well i thought this movie had some similarities to that which arrow also put out and some other things that i just kept i i would name them like while watching i was like it's similar to that and that and that and then they would bring it up in there i was like so i'm i'm seeing like a lot of the same things and i think it's it's just a very much a product of its time which i think is a good thing so anyways i thought this one was pretty good pretty great actually well acted and good slice of that 70s paranoia stuff that i've grown to love and always kind of loved so yeah um and and they do mention in the regional filmmaking they they do mention that they some of the like kind of library music doesn't work and it didn't really work for him or romero i'm like i disagree some of that library music is perfect for this movie or cronenberg's early stuff or you know romero's early stuff especially when you're trying to go for a documentary feel so uh it, it doesn't always work though don't get me wrong but i felt it worked 
worked in the Alpha Incident um, and stuff like that. So, or or at least Romero and Cronenberg's really early work. I'm not sure if this one had the had the music. He might have been talking to previous efforts, but I believe it probably did have the library stock music as well, which is probably another reason why it felt like a Romero one. So, yeah. Okay, so the next one from the box set is The Demons of Ludlow. And I figured I'd show this. It's a cut box that's been sitting on my shelves for years as well. It's a VHS of uh, the movie. Yeah, it's a pretty cool cover. What was this? Uh, Transworld Entertainment. Uh, it's all beat up. But it's been years since I even picked this damn thing up to move it. I, sometimes I forget what I have sitting on the shelves. And I actually never did get a chance to watch this one. So um, I was kind of excited to check this one out. And this is uh, this one feels very Wisconsin. And this one I feel like is probably one of the movies that has more appeal to a lot of people. Um, and it, But it's super bizarre. It's about a haunted piano. Yeah, that's right. A haunted piano. So right there it's complete bonkers. So essentially what happens is this, this town with a very low population, uh, the mayor announces that he kind of, he's like, well, to celebrate some, I, I maybe mean, it's a bicentennial or something like that. They bring back this piano that was uh, uh, kind of one of the prominent families in this town, kind of been brought, they died or something, or they donated this piano to the town. Right when the piano is played, a group ever, uh, amongst everybody, they start. It feels like they have like a, they're almost hypnotized by it, and it brings these demons from Ludlow, of course, out of the piano. Um, they start to kind of wreak havoc around town. Some uh, a couple was killed uh, making love in making love or whatever the fucking Friday Thirteenth is. Uh, every time I hear that, I think I know the. <laughs> Dave Z from Exploding Heads always says that. But uh, they were screwing in the barn, and of course they're attacked, and like a demon hand, and some blood and guts and stuff. Like it's a little bit more violent than his other films in terms of gore. It's not extremely like explicit in its gore or anything like that. But this one I, I legit felt like had the most like uh, Wisconsin atmosphere. Kind of like you feel like you see the howling wind, the cold, like the kind of barn style houses or whatever they're showing. So I felt like it worked on that level. Uh, it, it does slow down a little bit and turn into kind of a procedural trying to figure out the the roots of the piano when we have somebody like a priest that lives there uh, trying to figure it out who's like a regular of bill rabanes and this um i think she's a reporter or something's coming back to the town uh it's always one of those kind of people that would be investigating this stuff or interested in this stuff you always got to have that kind of like story like catalyst where it's like i'm a reporter and i'm uh somebody from out of state and i'm interested in this and you're like okay so there's obviously got to be some procedural kind of effort towards it or otherwise people will be like who, why do you care because 90 percent of people do not care about anything they just want to go about their day uh, so yeah but the people start getting killed and everybody starts to look disappear and all those kind of strange things um there's a completely wild scene where the piano starts floating and playing on its own um i'm at floating and it just goes crazy and the effects actually work pretty well although they are on a budget so this one i felt had some interest and i did enjoy myself like old kind of school people coming out of the piano and attacking others hands are hacked off i believe somebody's head gets hacked off so demons of ludlow was probably my second favorite from the entire set um like i, I like I'm, i'll rank them all at the end but it's still behind Alpha Incident, which I thought was a, a pretty great movie. Um, so what are the features on this? Like I said, there was the uh, featurette talking a little bit about his, uh, about you know the Alpha Incident and kind of all that paranoia stuff, which I enjoyed. And of course, there's always a shoot straighter on all six movies with Bill Robay and just talking for like 10, for like 8 to 15 minutes on all of them. So that's cool. Next one, this next, next disc in the Bill Robain set includes The Game, which... Um, <sighs> 
This is one of the weirdest movies I have seen in a very long time. It's super zany and wacky and, and uh, really cheesy. So it starts off with uh, these three older people, these three rich old people that invite all these young people to like, it seems like a party and they, uh, everybody's dancing and it's just like extra cheese, extra, extra cheese. Like the girls, like boobs are hanging out of her shirt and everybody's just like, like it's just, it's so weird, so bizarre. And like the mixture of people, like uh, half of them are like a country Western kind of like cover band or something. And then there's like a couple like kind of almost, I want to, I don't want to say snooty, but, and then it's just a weird mixture. A woman's like an ex of all these people hanging out with these old people and these old people basically offer them um, a chance to I guess it would be House on Haunted Hill style deal where it's you stay in this uh, big kind of uh, motel or hotel or whatever they own I think it's a hotel or, or whatever the hell big mansion with a bunch of rooms in here and the last one here gets a million dollars and they're going to try to scare the hell out of them of course um, things don't go as planned, or maybe they do. You never really know what the intent of the old-timers is or anybody else involved. So uh, on the premises, there's a weird kind of hunchback sort of character wandering around, and you're like, is this a previous contestant that was brutally hurt or something? You don't really know. They hint at it, possibly, but he's mildly deformed, and you're like, he's got to be up to no good, and people start to disappear. They seemingly are dead. They can't find him. And then um, the, the people in the contest, start to register that maybe the people who are running it are behind it so they turn against each other and there's a bunch of weird twists and turns and endings and, and insanity there is nudity in this one i would say more nudity than any of the other ones and sexual kind of stuff um the acting is is really bizarre and um it's wacky is the only way i can describe this movie it is super wacky and just mind-baffling and weird and it has like two like a bunch of double meanings and again we have narration i think bill rabane himself does the narration coming in and kind of trying to patch up loose ends or bring up these questions of weirdness to under to make us understand that i think that's an intentional weirdness in the film so i don't even know really what to say about it uh, it's a goofy weird movie and uh the music's strange too and these old people act like young children um and i don't it's super weird. This is one of the most goofy, strange movies I've seen in a very long time. And I watch a lot of goofy, strange films. Uh, I don't know if I can give this one a recommend or not. I, I would say, because in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this weird, cheesy kind of take on this. But as it progressed, it just fell into these layers of absurdity. And by the end of it, I was just like, I don't know what to think. And I know that's its intention, but I don't know if it's good or not for me to feel that way. I don't know. I, I just baffled by the game. It is really weird. Um, and it is not a precursor to the David Fincher movie. Do not get confused. I know it'd be very easy to do so. But yeah, the game by Bill Rabane. Bonkers. And the last film on the set is Twister's Revenge. Yeah, I'm also going to talk about the Who is Real Bill Rabane documentary in this part. But uh, Twister's Revenge. This is one of the weirdest movies. I guess it would be considered exploitation, exploitation style. It's a mixture of Knight Rider and Rolling Vengeance, but completely cheap and weird and like Three Stooge style villains. I don't know what this thing is all about. It is super outrageous. So what we have here is a newlywed guy. Him and his wife had made this monster truck that talks. It's super intelligent. Um, it's worth, uh, what, $200,000, $100,000, some ridiculously high number for the 80s um, in a monster truck. 
I'm sure it probably is nothing nowadays. But whatever, it's worth a lot of money. These three kind of goofy mechanic guys that are kind of losers overhear it. So they decide that they're going to try to steal the truck and end up kidnapping his newlywed wife. And uh, it's up to the monster truck and him. The monster's truck is named Twister to find his wife and stop the baddies. The baddies are absolutely ridiculous. There's this one guy named Bear who's like this big kind of bodybuilder guy. Um, I guess he's the highlight of the villains. He's super goofy, uh, super dumb. Everybody's super dumb. And like there's scenes with like meanders around with these three bad guys, Dutch, Kelly, and Bear, for like 40, like every scene is like 45 seconds too long where you see him running, you'll see him moving, and like every scene seems a little too drawn out. I think a lot of people will get a lot of comedy out of this because it's so zany and goofy and weird um and, and the idea that the truck and him are arguing and some of the bit actors aren't real actors so they're absolutely ridiculous they're like oh no but it is what it is. That's that's just a, a style of low-budget filmmaking in general. You'll have a lot of the, the lesser-known cast just not be, or the lesser-known players just not be very good at all. Or sometimes the bigger players not be very good at all. Um, so, so it's just kind of a really goofy thing here. And at, at times, like, they'll literally blow up houses or run down houses. And, like, it has the tone where, they're like, they got to make sure that everybody knows that the truck didn't kill anybody so people will get out of the house. Like, it's like the, the comical thing where it's like, all right, just throw some, like, black uh, makeup on their face to look like it blew up. And they're just, like, upset. Like, it's like a Roadrunner cartoon or something where they're like, our house just blew up. Oh, gosh, nan it. That's, a, that's not what you say. But anyways, just imagine, it doesn't happen, but people throwing their hats on the ground or something. It's just a cartoon, and um, uh, it's going to have its charm for some people, but it is just absolutely nonsense. Complete nonsense. And it's 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 meandering for what it is. Let's be honest, I think so. Uh, but it's so dumb. It's just so dumb. Rolling Vengeance, I think, is fantastic. Monster Truck Revenge movie. Um, I don't know why there's more than one Monster Truck Revenge movie. I really don't. But um, Rolling Vengeance uh, is great. I think it's high. It's a it's more serious attempt with good cast in here, like Lawrence Dane uh, in, in Rolling Vengeance, and of course um, Ned Betty. So I, I love that movie. Um, and then like something like Knight Rider has been years since I watched that on TV. But yeah, uh, I don't know if I could give Twister's Revenge a recommend either. But it is it's just entertaining and probably a group kind of function as well the final disc on here let's talk a little bit about that as well as it has an awesome booklet in here i think it's by is it by stephen thrower of course it's by stephen thrower seems to know more about regional american filmmaking than anybody else and he's not even from america um so it is a doc who is bill rabane which is um it's a feature it's like two hours long which I liked because they, they talk a little bit about uh, Wisconsin and the, the history of that and everything like that. Even bring up Orson Welles, um, being from Wisconsin. Has some people that I actually uh, know some of their independent films, like Corey Udler is in here, who did the Incest Death Squad movies. There's like a couple of those. Girl, I think it might be three Incest Death Squad movies. But uh, he had a personal relationship with Bill Rabane. Um, he talks about that. And of course, they talk about him driving around and looking at Ed Gein's like, locations and everything as a kid. So he, he kind of, everybody in this doc kind of points out about like a little bit about Wisconsin and everything like that. So that's interesting. There's also people that worked with Bill and they bring up Richard Gordon Lewis and all that kind of stuff. So I thought this was a nice doc actually. And, and fans of Bill Rabane, and it opens up with kind of a joke of who is Bill Rabane? Like, where would you put him in the history of filmmaking? Who's Bill Rabane? Um, Cause he is pretty obscure. Even when you come to the other regional guys are super low budget kind of guys. Um, but like I said, there's like a been like a, a celebration of these people. 
people for for you know even if all their movies aren't great it's definitely an important history of film for sure um and i do like the idea of regional american filmmaking um i miss the regional uh character actor these character actors that came from certain states or certain times and and they didn't all come from overseas or la or new york i mean you get again got a nice flavor when you started getting guys like warren oates or charles bronson um they just everybody feels the same now like i don't know i'm just old man get off my lawn old man yells at cloud i just miss old character actors in general um but anyways i, I thought this was a nice doc interesting stuff it ends <laughs> a shout out to bill rabane with the disappearance and talks about where he's at in life now anyways all in all it's a good set um some movies are good some movies are bad. Some movies are, you know, just so weird that it's just like, I don't know what the hell to say. Anyways, I'm glad it's out. I'm glad it got a release. Um, Bill Rabane also did a couple other movies I should mention. He also did The Giant Spider Invasion, which I did cover. And they do talk about this in the uh, documentary stuff. And I, I mean, and the archival and all the interviews and everything. And I really like Giant Spider Invasion. I think it's a blast. I think it's a really entertaining, cool movie. And it would have been cool if it got included in the set. But it is released by Dark, Scott, or Dark Force Entertainment and it's still in print so check that out and he also did another one blood harvest which actually had a release from vinegar syndrome and 88 films which that one i print, believe is out of print but vinegar syndromes is still in print um i know they covered it on last drive-in with joe bob briggs and then he also did a couple other movies rana um it's like a swamp creature movie which i'm not familiar with i might have a vhs or something like that i know trauma put it out under croaked um which i have uh, in one of those DVD sets, and also uh, the capture of Bigfoot, which I believe is in probably one of these like Bigfoot sets from Retro Media. Um, I'm not sure if it's in there, but yeah, Trump also has a single disc on that. So if you want to be a Bill Rabane completist, then get this set, get Spider Invasion, Blood Harvest, and the other two films I just mentioned. But anyways, it's a great set celebrating um, an interesting director, and half the time the story behind the films is, is better than the films, but I do think that Alpha Incident is the gem of the bunch, and I think it's a truly great movie. So yeah, check out the set if you're interested. Arrow Films put it out. Uh, yeah, and I, I like these sets. It's similar to the William Griffey set they had out and that big Herschel Gordon Lewis set. So, um, and also Severed had the Al Adamson set and Andy Milligan set. Arrow put out a George Romero uh, Between Night and Dawn set. So, like, there's a good celebration of independent regional filmmakers and all that kind of stuff. Not to mention that we had the American Horror Projects 1 and 2 from Arrow, which I are highly, I highly recommend those. I love those. So, and also we had the... Um, what is the uh, set that Vinegar Syndrome put out? Uh, Homegrown Horrors, which is also a really cool set. So anyways, celebrate uh, independent horror films. Um, uh, the old ones, especially. That's more of my jam. I'm going to be honest. I can't lie. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. See you guys on the next uh, review. Coming right up. I don't know what I'm talking like. I'm leaving. I'm, go I'm, I'm leaving, guys. I'm out of here. Okay, this next one here is The Monster Collection which is a three-disc set, including two documentaries, The Frankenstein Complex and Phil Tippett, Mad Dreams and Monsters. And I got a chance to pop in on the documentaries, The Frankenstein Complex and uh, Phil Tippett, Mad Bands and Monsters. I did not get a chance to pop in the third disc, which I will remedy as soon as I could. Um, actually, the layout here, I'm not going to lie, I didn't even register that there was a third disc in here. I thought there was supposed to be all these features, and I didn't even see the bonus disc, which is completely my fault. I love the layout here, but I hate the pulling the disc out um and the bonus disc has a bunch of rare shorts on here and if you watch these documentaries you'll want to see uh the phil tippett shorts because 
he has this thing called uh, Mad World, I believe it's called, or something, and that looks absolutely excellent. So um, the Frankenstein Complex is the first dock here, and this is just kind of like, I don't want to say a, a history of special effects, but it starts off talking about stop motion, and it gets all the way up to semi-computer generated mixed with practical effects, interviews with people like Del Toro, Joe Dante, Phil Tippett. So it's got a lot of interesting people and interesting things in there, archival stuff with Stan Winston, and it has a history and and, and talks about like uh, winning awards and everything like that um, for like some of the people and the change of special effects from stop motion to eventually what we're at now and they all have different takes on it and they all have interesting things to say Steve Johnson is in here of course so there's just tons of special effects kind of icons and a lot of archival stuff mentioning the other ones that have passed um, and, and of course no Rob Bottin you know, as obviously it seems like he does not really want to do this thing anymore Rick Baker's in here which is uh, as fantastic so like I, I, I really enjoyed this and I, I liked seeing a lot of these people talk and it's not just the talking heads they intersperse a lot of the like kind of um uh, you know, archival stuff and because it, it just helps better having these visual aids when people are like, what we did here was this and then they'll show like 3D models and shit and then they'll show it actually operating and functioning. It's just so easy um, for people just to have them talking and not actually show anything to prove their backup points or, or may, let help the audience understand. Anyways, this also has a really great score. I thought the score was really well done for it and I think it's made exclusively for this this film. Um, the other film on here, uh, the other doc is the Phil Tippett, Madman and Monster set um a documentary which i which i liked what is it mad dreams and monsters or something like that mad dreams and monsters and uh this one focuses on a uh on one of the special effects guys that is in frankenstein complex and it goes over his entire career and he talks about being inspired by king kong which seems to be the mo for a lot of these special effects artists seeing king kong on you know television when they were young and just being captivated by how it was done and everything like that and goes all the way up to him winning awards and his change over and the complete change of the special effects field and uh again he's a very interesting guy and they show clips from his shorts in here these um this thing i think it's called mad mad uh world or mad god and it, that those things look fantastic they look like this nightmare world and his wife gets on there and says that's phil that's basically phil um so like i i want to go more in depth about this but when you're talking about a documentary you can basically just say the stuff you liked and what they kind of cover but just uh going into details about how the I mean, it does have a structure. The story unfolds very well, and it's interesting, and all this stuff interests me anyways because I love special effects and practical effects even more. So seeing all this, um, and also I think that this could help people appreciate not just the practical effects or some of the digital effects, how they do them, and there is a practicality to it and everything like that. Um, I'm never one to get mad at digital effects when they're good or when they help the story. Uh, I, I do prefer practical effects just because it's the time I grew up with and it's embedded in my head to like like it better and stuff like that just that and you know touching something but these are effects mixed with digital and practical and i think you can get the best of both worlds um anyways i probably will watch some of these shorts and get back to you on there which it makes me uh an idiot i literally figured i didn't see the third disc which is insane i was like man where are the shorts i was i was going through all the special features on here trying to find them um, and i love the layout of this thing but i could not find the the, the shorts and i was like well, that's kind of a rip and then there's a third disc in here I'm an idiot. I was wondering where all that special features I was looking for them. But anyways, uh, the Monster Collection, I'm a moron. I'll, I'll get back to you guys on those shorts because uh, the Mad God stuff looked amazing. 
Okay, so we're getting into the Patreon pick, which I believe was Jim Simon's pick, and this is Rated X. This is a film directed by um, Emilio Estevez, and it stars Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. And this is based off uh, uh, the Mitchell brothers, who are real brothers, who would go on to... Um, make and produce and direct a lot of porno films. They ended up responsible for Behind the Green Door, which is an infamous porno film starring Marilyn Chambers from Rabbit, the David Cronenberg film. And yeah, so it, I, I started watching this and I really didn't know much about it. I just went in kind of blind. I was like, well, you know, I've seen this cover. I, I, and then I was like, oh, it's based on a true story. So I started watching it and I was like, oh shit, this is actually like uh, something that interests me greatly. So we basically have them um, Going over this, uh, we start them, uh, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen as young kids, and their father is actually played by um, Terry O'Quinn. And I'm going to be honest, Terry O'Quinn is my favorite performance in the movie. Um, I love Terry O'Quinn. He's always great. Um, I, th I believe he's the best part of Pin. And he's so, he, even in his small roles like Young Guns, not a small role, but Young Guns and Tombstone and Stepfather, he's amazing into a really solid, great actor, um, very memorable. He was obviously in Lost as well. But he's, he plays the father and um, it's, he, he's really good in this. So you basically see them grow up and you kind of get their, their little bit of their personality. So Emilio Estevez ends up going to college and right away he has that kind of shock factor where he wants to explore the crazy things in the, in the 60s, showing nudity. And even his professor, played by uh, Peter Bogdanovich, of course, from infamous director for Last Picture Show. I don't want to say infamous, but very, very prolific director, The Last Picture Show and Targets and among other things, um, basically tells him that uh, shock for shock is not art, yada, yada, yada. Of course, he disagrees. Um, he feels there is an art in it. And he eventually kind of um, ends up starting like to do these sex things, set pornos to pay for them to make other art films. But eventually it turns into this big kind of porno empire. Charlie Sheen is his brother. He shows up, real life brother, actually, if you guys didn't know that. And shows up and starts helping him. And there's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of fights. Um, and you, you start to see the divide between them and the arguments and everything like that. And there's obviously a catalyst here or, or you know, a breaking point for all of them, I should say, that kind of ends in tragedy like all these things do. Um, Amelia Estevez is solid in it. And Charlie Sheen is um, watching this. You see Charlie Sheen, you're like, watching him do this kind of stuff like knowing like what happened in the history and everything you're like maybe he isn't acting that much here at all um and, and just kind of partying it up and everything like that uh their lawyer in the film he he looked very familiar to me his voice and everything like that and it took me a second to register who it was but it's mcclowski from young guns and he's in another movie uh that's gonna drive me crazy if i don't get it off the top of my head um i know he's in another one and he's got a super memorable voice and everything but I, i'll i'll probably remember when it's too late but anyways he's good in this and uh obviously the connect the young guns connection with all three of them is back um, yeah, um, this is an interesting movie. It does jump around a lot. And the opening stuff, I was like, this is very much of its time with the editing and the rain and the shoosh and the glass. I was like, this is kind of cringeworthy and it's, it's very much dated, but the rest of the film's not edited that way. It, it, there's a lot of period pieces. So it feels like they're trying to kind of do that kind of style of filmmaking a little bit more or more typical style of filmmaking instead of that, like flash cut editing, like shoosh 
like isn't this all messed up thinking about your life and but that's the only part i really didn't care for everything else i thought was solid um terry o'quinn's interaction with them as an adult is very funny they're trying to hide their drug uh use snorting coke and the dad walks in they're hiding it and then before he leaves he's like you got some sugar on your nose and they like they start laughing like when their dad leaves because they obviously he knows he's a, he's like uh so i really enjoyed this one to a certain extent especially knowing like a brief history i don't know the history of uh porno films going to court and all that kind of stuff and um them being arrested and so just seeing it as just somebody who knows a little bit about it was interesting enough it was a nice kind of like uh uh kind of course to, uh, interesting course you know that piqued my interest and everything like that i don't know how accurate everything is but um the only another complaint i have is that they're wearing bald caps and <laughs> they look horrible not good bald caps because you know Estevez isn't bald at all so you're just like that looks like shit like on both of them at the time it just does not look very good or very convincing but uh yeah anyways um rated x interesting movie it's not i couldn't run it anywhere i couldn't buy it anywhere um the disc the dvd's out of print there's no blu-ray there's no rental choice so i had to find it uh unfortunately um so rated x i i'd like to see a company pick it up and re-release it i think it's a showtime film i definitely would buy it so yeah okay we're gonna get into those 1970 movies though sometimes beaten back he came again and again against the enemy till at the end he came alone from the bloody field, for he alone could triumph. This was a Dracula deed. In summary, President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion. It lasted for two months. The purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines. At times, that mission was extremely dangerous. Marcus Welby, MD, and the Dick Cavett Show will not be seen tonight so that we may bring you live cover coverage of the 42nd Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. Headquarters in Washington, I'm Howard K. Smith. I'm Harry Reasoner in New York. These are tonight's headlines. Rail service across the nation is crippled by the continuing strike of the Railway Clerks Union. President Nixon meets with newsmen in his first nationally televised news conference since late July. Defense counsel says that Lieutenant Calley had orders from higher up to kill every living thing in July. And Secretary of State Rogers pledges that American troops will not be sent back into Cambodia. Howard? Reports tonight on the rail strike from Gregory... And after she let the devil fornicate with her... Making the men impotent. And the first one up is from this Coffin Joe collection. There's nine films in this set. Um, of course, the, his first two films, which Synapse put on DVD. But I'm going to be covering The Awakening of the Beast, which is the 1970 film from the set. Let me see if I can pull this sucker out. Um, the Awakening of the Beast. Uh, it comes with a Strange World of Coffin Joe on here. So that's right. Uh, the picture quality on these is not amazing. The subtitles are embedded, so you're stuck with them. But I don't know if there's any really other way to get these releases. This is from, uh, what is it, Anchor Bay over um, the UK Anchor Bay. If that makes any sense to anybody. So uh, Coffin Joe, uh, Jose Marins, is a pretty prolific uh, filmmaker. Died a few years back. He was a Brazilian horror director, uh, making horror films in the 60s. And he'd go on. He made uh, the Coffin Joe trilogy. Um, but yeah, he, he's pretty prolific, I think, nowadays. Or 
in the cult film status, I guess I would say, uh, infamous or popular or beloved. Um, so Coffee Joe, The Awakening of the Beast. This is a, such a weird film. Um, it starts off black and white, similar to one of the Coffin Joe trilogy films, and the end gets into color, which adds for a good effect of kind of just going bonkers, and like you're like kind of into this mood of black and white, and then it just goes color bright, especially during, and it involves like LSD trip. So essentially what happens is we have this this like kind of group of people arguing about everything, um, and Coffin Joe is one of them, and they're talking about a lot of these like kind of like... Um, uh, degenerate behavior in their terms, people doing drugs, people having sex, people having perversions. So we'll have these scenes of people being like raped or taken advantage of or using drugs. And this goes on for almost more than half of the film. And I'm like, okay, this is like almost jarring because it's all these different stories and arguments and everything amongst each other. And it happens quick. It's five minutes there, five minutes there. And and you're just like, well, okay, um, I don't know how much I'm in really enjoying this. And then it kind of gets to the, the meaty chunk at the very end. And we have this idea of this uh, doctor who's like, well, let's take a focus on something. You guys want to, he shows them a bunch of media and experiences and they all pick the most strong performance uh, experience in the Coffin Joe film that they were shown. So he decides to feed them LSD and focus with a focus on Coffin Joe. All of them are from different backgrounds, um, you know, you know, when it comes to financial situations and there's four of them there's two males and two females and they all start to hallucinate and go into this world of madness and uh you can see these weird things of like sadism and and somebody having these women worship them and some women being like just beaten and it just gets all these different kind of colors and, and insanity and it just becomes this weird trip which reminds me kind of like would inspire stuff like we are the flesh later on um and just um, the one thing is like that stuff is way ahead of its time for 1970 in terms of psychedelic filmmaking and, and bonkers kind of stuff. I mean, we had El Topo the same year in 1970, but I feel like the editing style too, like especially in the early stuff, even the black and white stuff, we have a lot of fast cut, cut cuts and stuff like that that are really um, not traditional, I don't think, for the time. And they just were jarring and weird and obviously kind of invoking some kind of weird like tripping thing. So it, it, it's a strange film and it's definitely ahead of its time and different and unique and the ending packs some good punches and just some really good visuals but I, I don't adore the film or love it but I think it's interesting as hell and um, I do like Coffin Joe from what I've seen I've seen three of his films now the first two in the trilogy and this one and I, I really ought to find some time to watch the rest of the set but time is limited unfortunately but I was glad I watched this one and it's definitely an interesting piece uh, Awakening the Beast um, yeah Okay, the next one from 1970 is Tamlin, a.k.a. The Ballad of Tamlin. And this was directed by uh, Roddy McDowell, you know, infamous actor from the Poseidon Adventure, the Planet of the Apes films, Fright Night, uh, class of 1984. Just a classy, classic actor that I think that anyone that likes films adores Roddy McDowell. I know I do. So he directed this one, uh, Tamlin. Uh, the Ballad of Tamlin is like, a, what is it, a Scottish folktale? And I actually had to look up what uh, Tamlin was, and I listened to a little bit about Tamlin. And the story of Tamlin is about uh, kind of this, uh, I think just this maiden, or she inherits the, this land, these woods from her father. And um, she uh, she's wandering around the woods and this kind of fairy, I believe it's a fairy, comes out and says, uh, I'm Tamlin. And um, they kind of like fall in love. But there's a fairy queen that has a spell over him. And she wants to break the spell, and it gets really strange and everything like that. So I'll leave it at that. Um, and I I was watching this film, and um, I watched the film first, and I was like, I am so unfamiliar with this this myth, this folktale, that I don't know how it pertains to it. But it stars Ian McShane as Tom.
Tomlin and uh, Ava Gardner as I guess she would be the Fairy Queen character. Uh, so this is a, a super weird movie. Um, it's well shot. It's well acted. It's well directed. There's there's uh, there's good music. There's good locations. There's there's good cinematography. Some wild editing, like freeze frame picture kind of editing style to show kind of like an attraction between Ian McShane and the the uh, the main character here, the girl he falls in love with. Um, I wouldn't say she's the main character. I guess the main character Ian McShane, Ava Gardner. But Ava Gardner is like this rich woman who has like this whole stable of young men and, and women that she hangs around with, obviously kind of, you know, preying upon them or using them and kind of like draining them up. And we get this kind of fourth man storyline where um, it seems like her previous lovers have all died in some sort of car accident in a strange ways. Um, so we, we kind of have that idea too. And there is a supernatural element for sure that Ava Gardner has over, you know, these people. Um, it is a very kind of slow moving film. It takes quite a bit of time to get where it's going. Um, and I wish I would have known more about the folklore or the myth, um, before I watched the movie, because watching the movie, I just, I, I figured it was kind of going where it was going and it was easy to follow to a certain extent. Although a lot of it takes forever to get there. Um, Ian McShane is surprisingly like pretty like and i know a lot of people will say this i bring this up and i thought the same thing like ian mcshane my first known encounter with him was probably from deadwood um or sitting target but in this one he's just like so young and like i'd later see him in like scream and scream again i believe that one's called scream the 85 one where he's like the kind of strange uh mama's boy psycho kind of style film and sitting target with oliver reed which is a very cool movie and uh you know that he's in the john wick films but this one he is so young and plays such a different role and, and being like obviously taking Taken advantage of and Ava Gardner is very powerful good screen presence and that kind of old school um, I don't even know how to go about it like domineering kind of woman figure in here very powerful so um, there's like lots of cool stuff going for it but at the same time I caught myself I don't want to say disinterested just a little bit kind of wanting it to move faster than it did. And I know that um, that's just a quality of 70s films, but I don't have much. I don't know how a fly got in here. This room's closed off. There's one fly in the house. He managed to get in this freaking room. But uh, uh, I just dodged it. If you guys are wondering why Bob bobbed and weaved right there. So it's just something that uh, like I don't have a problem with slow moving movies, but sometimes you have to be in the right mindset. Um, I thought it was a good film. It just didn't do that much for me, but it does get really kind of crazy at the end with lots of great visuals. And it does that. That kind of weird the bear and the snake and everything that's in that myth and i thought that was kind of clever anyways it's a good film i'm just not 100 percent sure how i uh, feel about it uh this one would have been really good for some supplemental stuff um get a cat ellinger on there talking about this one breaking down the comparison between the myth and the movie and you got yourself some gold get a commentary on here with somebody i i would really like to see that um i know ala films put it out they didn't really do much uh as far as that that kind of special features there is um no, no special features on here there's not even subtitles but the picture quality is good the sound quality is all right um i think it's a it's not not really it's it's not a good like it's not a special mix or anything like that it's probably presented as it was um anyways uh yeah um 1970 Tamlin or the Ballad of Tamlin. Interesting watch. I'm not upset I watched it. I'm just not sure how I 100% feel about it either. 
Okay, so the next one from 1970 is the John Waters movie Multiple Maniacs. This is his second feature film uh, starring Divine, Mink Stoll, and a bunch of other John Waters regulars. This movie is completely bonkers. Um, it opens up uh, with this uh, cavalcade. I think they're the cavalcade of filth or something like that. They're like this traveling group of crazy people that reminded me of the kind of group from Life and Death of a Porno Gang. Essentially what this group does is they do all these filthy acts for money, like kind of like a sideshow freak show kind of deal sideshow kind of thing and uh they kind of get all these like normal people to come in and uh in the very beginning they're showing them all these kind of crazy things like two gay men kissing oh my god in 1970 that's a that's mind-blowing though of course um somebody eating their own puke and somebody licking a bicycle seat just all these weird fetishes or what would be considered a fetish at the time and everybody's obviously appalled but uh divine comes in and they just rob them and <laughs> they start to like beat them and scream at them and it turns out that that this is kind of their M.O. Um, but then the movie kind of focuses more on Divine and Mr. David, who is a character, he pops up Pink Flamingos, that uh, their relationship and they're falling out and they're obviously both starting their own new relationship, one of which Divine has with Mick Stoll, a lesbian relationship that starts in a church, which uh, has this weird rosary scene, I'll leave it at that, and Mr. David with this kind of young woman who's absolutely in love with him. So, like, of course, they're feuding and there's, there's schemes planned and everything and it just becomes absolutely ridiculous the end of the movie turns into like the um besides the lobster which is completely bonkers which it kind of makes sense because it's like a puppet lobster a giant puppet and uh john waters loved puppets as a kid so that kind of plays into it which is but i just was like is this happening when it happened because it's almost out of, it's completely out of left field but for some reason this movie is like yeah i'll allow it i think that that makes sense complete sense in this kind of crazy world but it is also just like is this happening is that thing raping her what the fuck but anyways uh at, at the very end divine literally turns into like a foaming mad woman and it reminds me of a universal horror film how she's just like running down the street and like the the townspeople running for her, then pretty soon they're chasing her it just it kind of ends in that kind of style um it is a bizarre movie it's not as explicit or disturbing as something like pink flamingos but obviously it's there to push people's buttons and do some crazy things that no one else would do uh divine is solid in it very funny but not as funny or as insane as uh, she is in Pink Flamingos. And John Waters explains this. Divine was a man and considered himself a man and everything like that. But when Divine's character in the movies is a female, so it's like it's always hard to refer. Like you refer to the character in the movie as a female and in real life uh, Divine was a male and and was a drag queen but considered themselves a male and didn't want to be trans or john waters said himself i repeat this in the uh jeremy uh review with uh playing flamingos john waters didn't want to be a drag queen he wanted to be godzilla and i feel like that's the best way to explain it like i've heard john waters say that a few times now and i'm just like yeah that makes sense i get it you know especially when divine's running down the street foaming at the mouth and everybody's running from running from her and then it turns around and starts chasing her with a torch it's just like kind of a, a monster style character I mean, there's no real special effects to speak of. You know what I mean? There is some gut eating here, which he said he lifted from uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, but, like, you know, people get shot and there's no effects. And then, like, somebody will get shot and then there's no squib. But then there'll be blood on their shirt later. Just very cheap, very, uh, you know, low-budget filmmaking. Uh, very cold filmmaking, you can kind of tell. But um, there's this scene where it goes into this, like, biblical stuff for, like, 
20 minutes and I'm like this is just way too long for me um, and I know a lot of people are like this is blasphemy but at the same time it just it, it is kind of a dated thing too where it's just like eh, eh, eh. Um, but yeah um, Mink Stole is really solid and it really fun anyways it's an enjoyable movie there's a commentary on here interviews with the other people um, yeah it's not uh, for, it's a weird one from 1970 and you'd have to cover it I mean, considering this is John Waters' film in 1970, you got to hit all the regional filmmakers and all the different kind of styles and emerging filmmakers of the time, especially somebody like Waters who would make a huge impact on cinema. Anyways, uh, yeah, uh, Pink Flamingo's review is next. And to warn you, a bunch of rants uh, inspired by just listening to John Waters talk and, you know, and whatnot and being uh, get off my lawn kind of person at this point in my life. Anyways, uh, yeah. Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage the Undead. Oh. What? You ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead? Nah, I guess I must have missed that one. You ain't seen nothing. You ain't seen nothing. I've seen way more than you. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Cannibal Holocaust, The Beginning, The Great Escape, Kelly's Heroes, Once Upon a Time in the Fucking West. You haven't seen War and Peace. Pink Flamingos. Casablanca. Gone with the Wind. Citizen Game. The Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas Special. You haven't seen... Hmm, what else haven't you seen? The Magnificent Seven? The Magnificent Seven Ride Again? The Magnificent Seven Are Back? Is that a movie? And last of all, you ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead. And you haven't seen War and Peace. I ain't watching War and Peace. The hell you are. Fuck War and Peace! Okay, this is You Ain't Seen. And uh, this is your pick for me. Mm -hmm. and this is an embarrassing one, uh, considering I pretty much watched or bought. And there was a time when I went through, and I like you, everybody does it, where they're like, oh, "I gotta watch all the extreme crazy films." And I've always really liked uh, crazy films if they're good or made at a certain time or made for a certain reason or th there's some art in them. So this one is John Waters' Pink Flamingos. This mm -hmm. is actually his third feature-length film. First with Mondo Trasho. Second was Multiple Maniacs from 1970. And this is his third. Uh, Mondo Trasho's never had an official release. So, yeah, I, I have seen a handful of John Waters movies. He's a cult icon. Everybody loves John Waters. He's like a pop culture icon at the same time. And he's got pretty much widestream acceptance in his films, I would say, with like stuff like Hairspray and, yeah. and whatnot. He's kind of like an icon. Um, I do like his movies, but I have not seen a lot of his early stuff. I've, I've seen Ceasably Demetted and Serial Mom, and uh, I, I watched another one this week, too. So, yeah, you had actually seen this movie. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain this. I guess it's part of a trilogy, including Mondo Trasho. No, it's it's this one. The first one would be, is it multiple? There's three of them. It might be Pink Flamingos, Desperate Living, and Female Trouble, I think, are part of his loose trilogy. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so this is one of the grossest fucking things I've ever seen, and that means a lot coming from me. Uh, I, I watched like all the the ones that were like August Underground, Men Behind the Sun, Cannibal Holocaust, and and uh, Sallow. I've, I've you know I've seen tons of the disturbing movies or whatnot, and I've always had a respect or enjoyment out of them. I watched a lot of uh, independent extreme films, some of which are good, a lot of which are just really super generic. Or obviously trying out to outdo the extremity and they become old hat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what John Waters is doing here to try to be the ultimate shock, but it's definitely a comedy first. Would you say it, a comedy first? Yeah. It might be a comedy first. <laughs> He's definitely um, trying to do some comedy. So, uh, yeah, you can go ahead. Uh, the, the plot basically is um, Babs Johnson is considered the most disgusting human being on Earth. The filthiest, the filthiest person. person on yes. Earth. So basically what happens here is there is a, a Mr. and Mrs. Marbles played by Mink Stoll and another John Waters regular, David something, I can't think of his last name, um, want to get that title. And they run kind of a underground prostitution, sell-off, baby, black market, fucking sleaze fest thing. And they want to get that title. So basically, they hate Babs Johnson. They want to destroy her. And it becomes a competition of two or three of the most filthy people in the world trying to get that title. That's right. basically, and it's a loose story. There's just a bunch of shenanigans and weirdos and gross things and stuff happening throughout. Yeah, the the movie moves surprisingly quick, but it yeah, it's basically each of them, you know, Babs or uh, the Marbles couple, um, just constantly trying to one up each other. Um, they basically start a war. It opens yeah. up in the beginning where there's like this. I don't even know if this is the beginning, but there's a scene where like. Um, Divine has this like uh, picnic or some shit. I don't fucking know where everybody's just a weirdo out there and the marbles call the police and like you're like, oh no, they're gonna have this crazy thing. And then like the group of people just kill the police. That's like the the climax of the film, actually. It's not a climax. It's it's, it's right when they find out where Divine that's like in the very middle no, when okay, they have the, in the picnic. middle. Um where they find out where Babs lives and so they go to have the police come and arrest her. Um and you know, there's people doing all kinds of weird little things with their bodies and oh there's three or four moments in this movie where i was like i can't believe this isn't a movie it's 1972 by the way so like there's a lot of stuff that you can't believe in first of all in 1972 a lot of this stuff was just super extreme as it is like homosexuality lesbianism all that stuff was already extreme and then we have full frontal nudity um yeah this one got obviously nc7 I don't even know if it was to the ratings board, but I guess you have to submit it if it's going to play somewhere that's not private. So it got an NC-17, and rightfully so, probably for the time. But the chicken scene was fucking insane. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, highly disturbing and bothersome. A lot of people would not be very happy with that. Um, The incestuous scene in the the apartment was messed (laughs) up. Of course, the infamous... Dog eating, dog shit eating scene, mm-hmm. and um, the butthole flex thing was a little right. fucking explicit, I will say. So all four of those things, I was just like, it's kind of like um, I, I, I really ought to have this. I, I might incorporate these clips from now on. Not, not anything from this movie, of mm-hmm. course. But there's a scene in Cannibal Holocaust where the executives constantly pressuring them to show the uh, film, and um, uh, they're showing it in front of the main executive or the owner, and they don't know what's on the film. Um, so when they force everybody to watch it, there's a scene every time the, the footage from Cannibal Holocaust gets worse and worse, like there's a rave and then like a, they, can't, they like the two realize what they've done and how explicit it is and they look at each other like with their cross legs and uncomfortability. <laughs> like I really, every time a scene like a movie or a scene is it that I should just add that clip of them to like, mm, like right. looking at each other and this one gets it like three or four times where I was really like. Just kind of looking like all you can do is shake your head just because it's so fucking nuts. Aside from the turtle, this might be a harder <laughs> watch than Cannibal Holocaust. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Cannibal Holocaust. I know a lot of people don't like it. It's just in my nature. Like, 
when it comes to cinema, I've always been against censorship in general. And if you listen to John Waters talk, like John Waters oh, is a yeah. super interesting guy. We'll probably talk a lot about this one. I feel like I got right. 25 minutes in just about this movie and, in general and John Waters. But John Waters, I was listening a lot today at work, a lot about John Waters. And I had heard stuff and things like that. John Waters is kind of like an attitude, I think, of a lot of the old whore exploitation fans. Mm-hmm. We're like... They're socially, they can be very liberal and um, understanding and invite people in. But inherently, they're all against censorship. And I think that most filmmakers, especially from an older school, are against censorship in general. And he, he mentions this, that it, there's been a shift in censorship. Because I was growing up, and this, I don't want to get too political or anything like that, mm-hmm. but just in general, when I was growing up, it seemed like most of the people that were trying to censor things were like a religious... Uh, conservative thing so i always thought it was super lame and always made fun of it and everybody i knew did too no matter where they you know they didn't understand oh you're a little kid you don't give a shit about democrat republican stuff you're just like censorship's lame fuck them people and and i always thought it was super lame and as i got older i I saw other people kind of censor things and i realized that censorship changes all the time and it just kind of is an (coughs) insane thing but, uh, yeah, I, I feel like his attitude, is, you can tell, it's like an anti-authoritarian attitude oh, yeah. where it's like he didn't care for the hippies in the movies and stuff. Not the, the, his movies, but he was making fun of the hippies as well as everyone else and just culture in general. No, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, what, what, so like towards the end of the movie, they asked Divine Baz what, what her politics <laughs> are. That's my favorite part. It's my favorite part, too. And she just yells, kill everyone now. You know, like, uh, was it, like, condone violence. And I just feel like that might be John Waters. It, it's just like, let the world burn. I Completely mean, tasteless. Is yeah, what it just is. And, do and, what you want to do. And John, that's anarchism. And, and um, what was that? They said that Warren Oates... Hey, uh, that question when Ned Betty's talking about Warren Oates in that interview, he said, he's like, what were you stand politically? And he said he thought, and he's like, I'm a constitutional anarchist. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that line always stuck with me because it's just like, that's, in, that's insane. It's just like, as, what, I don't even know what that means, but right. I feel like I know what it means. <laughs> and, oh. and there's something also, sorry about it, oh, yeah. like people in general nowadays, like they try so hard to be offensive. It turns into a point where I'm like, this person is the most annoying person ever because they don't care about art or comedy or anything. They just want to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. And it, it's an embarrassing moment for them. See, here, here's a big problem when it comes to like trying to be offensive. But, but, let me, but somehow oh, yeah. John Waters does it genuinely. Oh yeah, he does. So he's one of these guys that can get away with doing it without coming across like a complete another douchebag to me. The only thing that I would say that didn't age well in these, I mean, a lot of it doesn't age well, <laughs> is the Manson family stuff like Free Tex Watson, mm-hmm. and then in Multiple Maniacs they have a, a subplot point where one of the characters is so much accused of possibly being the murderer of Sharon Tate. That stuff never sat well with me in any kind of movie when you incorporate true crime that's more modern and it can be at an exploitative side it just rubs me the wrong way but it's not as bad in these ones because it's just a, gl- a, a glimpsing thing and he has like a history with you know one of the manson family girls yeah. and, and everything like that yeah um anyways oh to, to get back like you know like when, when you're i'm watching a movie now and i guess it, it might be trying to shock me it might be trying to get me to feel a certain sense of repulsion i'm incapable of doing it but at the same time, I was 10 when I rented this movie on complete accident. <laughs> and it probably, like, for better or worse, fucked me up. 
Um, <laughs> like, you, you know, the, the video store we went to, I was actually trying to, to rent one of the Pink Panther movies for something. You could have got Herbert Lom, but instead you got, and, and, you got and, Dong. Yeah, the, yeah the, the guy gave me, instead of Pink Panther something something, it was Pink Flamingos. And, you know, I, I was probably like, I was at my dad's house, I remember this, and so just watching it. And we're, I was about 10 minutes in, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not allowed to be watching this, I think. <laughs> I finished it. <laughs> what was the scene that uh, tipped you off? Was it the chicken scene? Not even the... Ah, uh, no, the chicken scene might... Because uh, that's pretty early on. Yeah. Um, it, I I didn't quite know what sex was yet. I mean, I was in fourth yeah, grade. Like, ten years old. So, like, and that sex stuff is not... I didn't quite understand what was going on. But, but like, you know, I just repressed it all. I'm like, okay, whatever. I just saw a drag queen eat shit. But, you know. <laughs> and it was real. It they was made real. <laughs> I, I love at the end, like, Divine's trying to smile. Like, like this, but it's like... <clears throat> oh, they're throwing like, it. Yeah. So gagging. Like, dry heave. Like, I legit felt bad. Um, and then you watch Sallow, and you're like... Yeah. That's just chocolate pudding. Divine bro. did it better. Uh, yeah, Divine did it for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like I listened to a bunch of interviews with uh, Waters today, and there was the one with Mark Maron was pretty funny, where Mark Maron called uh, them posers <laughs> and Salad just joking, like because they didn't really eat the shit. Um, yeah, so like uh, I I always try to do some research on this, and I like I knew a little bit, but not enough. Um, I'm not, no expert, like I said, just an enthusiast. But I, I do really like this movie. I laughed a lot. It's, it's funny, but it's disgusting. Uh, Divine is obviously the highlight. Um, oh, yeah. Very, very, uh, a, lot, a lot of charisma. Um, hilarious. And just, like, bitching all the time. Like, And the my favorite thing about <laughs> the movie is probably how everyone says, asshole. Like that. Asshole-ism. Asshole. You're an asshole. Like, everybody, everybody, no matter who says it, they're all like, you're an asshole. Oh, Edith Massey is ridiculous. Yes. Eggman. Eggman. I was like, like, she's in a crib, <laughs> which reminded me, like, of the movie The Baby, which... You should watch because I, I feel like the baby fits into some weird kind of like somewhat John Waters kind of shit. Um, and I don't even want to, it's just involved with an adult <laughs> being like as a baby. It's fucking weird. And somehow it's a PG. It's, it's a bonkers movie. But this, like that whole thing with the Eggman is so strange. Like the long lines of dialogue delivered and like they're not actors. A lot of them aren't actors, you can tell. Mm-hmm. And it just like they put him in such uncomfortable positions, and uh, it's just so unpleasant for him, to be honest. It, oh yeah, I mean, well, when they were filming the egg scene, like like it was like freezing cold. You could see all the breath. breath forming. You know, when, when they're having their dialogue, I, I I don't know. This is just a really fun movie. It it moves really quick. Um, it I. I laugh a lot in it. Yeah, it, it lives up to the hype too. It does. Like, I don't know how to explain the acting because it's not one of these deals where it's like, hey, these are purposely bad actors. It's just that a lot of them are non-actors. Mm-hmm. It's got a real regional quality. It's like, again, I would say John Waters is a is this very special person, lightning in a bottle too at the same time, mm-hmm. um, because um, there's sometimes when you watch like a movie, it's genuine. And what it's doing. It's very like, genuine. It's, there's heart and there's genuine uh, to it. There's genuinity or whatever the fuck that term would be. Um, and a lot of the times, like, you'll see people that are inspired by, like, Waters or something. And everybody's trying to capture that, like, regional quality on its own. And you really can't. You really can't capture 
true heart. Like, um, I, I watched all those Bill Rabane movies, and some are terrible, some are all right, and some are good. Mm-hmm. And But there is a certain quality, original quality about them, and all those regional directors. And it's it's strange when, like, people are like, well, my favorite director is all regional directors, and I want to do what they did. It's like, you can't do what they did you because can't. they're such a particular part of their time. If you're not from that area, and you didn't, you, you won't understand it, and you can't redo it. you got to do your own regional quality thing. I don't even know if you can be a, a true regional filmmaker anymore because... It's, I feel like the world's more global. Not global. Everything's known. Well, Isn't that weird? Uh, well, I mean, you know, distribution-wise, like, no, you can't. I think it's it's much easier to get your stuff out there. But there's also so much stuff the out there that nobody's going to... And there's no video stores. Nobody's going right. to rent, you know, uh, Invasion from Inner Earth or something mm-hmm. like that anymore. But, yeah, I mean, when, when you're looking at things like John Waters or Herschel Gordon-Lewis or... Uh, there's tons of William Perfet, y- yeah. uh, Bill Rabain. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're tied to their... their G- place in time their, their place geographical in the world, location um, and the yeah. people they worked with i mean and, and so if you're going to make a film i mean that's just kind of how you do it well, like we know a lot of people that make uh films and and we have like those regions in ohio we have like the dayton people the toledo people the cincinnati yeah. people uh, but then there's the cleveland people and then yeah, 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 cleveland. suzu stop she's just being a biatch but there's also that thing like about it where a lot of people will be like, well, my favorite filmmakers, Al Adams and Andy Milligan and Ed Wood. And I want to, like, when they look up to them, like, Ed Wood wasn't looking up to an Ed Wood. He was looking up to a Oscar, uh, you know, like, a, um, geez, a Oscar, uh, geez, what's the fucking Wells? Orson Wells. I wanted to call him Oscar Wells or something. Orson Wells type. So it's just like, when you, like, look up to this, like, shellacky filmmaking, which is great on its own, but when you aim to be that, like, they didn't aim to be, they aimed to be so high. It's just like, there's no, I don't know. I, I just I know that sounds like a shitty thing to say, but it's the truth. Well, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into making a film. So, I mean, you know, kudos or kudos to these guys for you know trying and getting out there. But I mean, it's it's hard work, and like, no, we're not going to be a Hollywood production. Oh, I, and you're not going to end up like John Waters. You could, I mean, but right. in a way, you're not going to be a John Waters or Andy Milligan or somebody like that because like the time has passed, and also it's just such a product of them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to explain that. Anyways, this is this was a light, and I would say that John Waters' films are better than a lot of those other regional guys by oh, because he's so. got a, a certain quality. And what is that saying? To know bad taste, you have to have good taste, or you have to know mm-hmm. good taste as well. So like he he was an expert in film, and he's a highly read person. He's an intelligent person. So, and he also is just such an oddity, you know, a weird person, like one of these maniacs that has to make movies, and you know those people. Like, in films, like, you can tell directors, like, Joe Doralski is just like, that guy's got to make movies. He's got to do something. Right, he, like, has, he has to. He has an artistic mm-hmm. outlet in some sense. You know, I feel like John Waters is, I think he's inspired by, like, the Warhol school well, and, like, the he, East Coast. He came, he knew Warhol. Oh, he did? He met okay. him. They weren't, like, best friends or anything. Like, he said he met him, and uh, I think he offered to produce one of his films, but then he was like, well, that would have been a Warhol film. I wanted to do my own thing. He offered to produce female trouble or something like mm-hmm. that but no he, he mentioned that he knew him okay and they met yeah i mean i mean because you see like the i don't say an overlap but like they, they just have a similar taste to me just very strange weird artistic and, right. they, and they had their own groups but like, you know but he's a delaware guy isn't he uh warhol i don't no no um he's baltimore baltimore waters is baltimore 
Yeah, that's Delaware-ish, right? New England guy, right? Yeah, where's Baltimore? What city? Maryland? Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and Warhol's New York. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's difference. a subway. There's a difference. New York's completely it's different. It's a subway. It's right. like Florida, Georgia, same thing. <laughs> Not really. Uh, they rhyme. No, they don't. No, uh, I, I really like it. Like I said, I don't have that much more to say about it. Like I said, the dialogue is great. There's really messed up stuff in it. And uh, it's, it's like it's not like technically made amazingly the sound and stuff, and it's it's uh, my even my DVD like is so cheap. Like it was one of the first DVDs I bought years back, and it's like a double feature DVD with Female Trouble I think on there. Okay. And the thing about it is, it was a um, clamshell DVD, like those weird uh, snappers yeah. mm-hmm. that they used to have for like Warner Brothers, and uh, it was cut box and shoved into it. <laughs> so I'm like. Whatever, it, it just feels right for this movie. And I, I, I was holding out for a Blu-ray, obvi- obviously, to check this one out. Because I know Criterion put out like multiple Maniacs and Polyester and Female Trouble. So I was like, it's got to be coming. Image is kind of a, a, sub, a Criterion's like a subsidiary of Image, RLJ. So I was like, mm-hmm. they own it, possibly. Hopefully it comes out by Criterion. Maybe they don't want to touch it. Uh, that's just a weird thing, too. Like I said, like, I hate censorship in general. Like, when it comes to film and art. Like, and, and like I, I just see so many people that like talk about films and and art and stuff like that, and I don't know shit about actual like painting art. I'm just like, is that Pablo Picasso? Dave, that's the back of a cereal box. Oh, <laughs> and I'll just be doing a maze. Um, honestly, though, like poorly. doing a maze, I'll just break through the walls. You're supposed <laughs> to go, like, but I just feel so strange when I see so many people that critique film. And they'll like talk about 20 films. Won't like one. I don't want to fucking listen to you if you don't like movies. There's so many people out there that don't like movies or film that talk about movies or film. No, but no, they don't. Like they don't like anything. Like, like they don't like a single fucking movie. And they get everything. Nothing's good enough. Nothing's good. I, I just want them to follow their damn emotions for once. I, I do try to be analy- not, not even analytical. I try to be um, objective sometimes, right? But mm-hmm. if my subjectivity will never completely control my subjectivity, but if the objectivity is so like if it's so bad, I you don't have even to take know what the fuck you're trying to I, say. Objectivity, <laughs> yeah, no, like if you watch a movie and the technical aspects are so poor, you're like, well, I can't rate this super high, but I still enjoy the hell out of it, so I'll rate it a lot. Like Spookies, I like Spookies. Spookies makes no fucking sense, yeah. but I like the special effects. I like the story behind it. It mm-hmm. adds like an element to it that it makes it enjoyable for me. I like the music. There's certain things I like about it, even though I know it's not great. But I'm not going to sit here and hate on the fucking movie all day. I'll say what I like and say what I don't like and probably give it a higher rating than 95% of the people that ever watch the damn thing. Because I like to enjoy watching movies. And this one, uh, I, I really do like it. We went on some tangents, some tirades, whatever. But I just felt like I kind of wanted to talk about it. Because there's a lot of regional filmmakers in this week. I did all that, that Bill oh, LeBain right. set. Yeah, the Wild Wicked Wisconsin. A lot of these sets are getting released too. And... John Waters had like crossed that path in the mainstream. And George Romero is another regional filmmaker that yeah. did it for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure there's a handful of other ones too that I'm just not thinking of. But like Romero is my favorite director of all time. So like I know he's on the best movies of all yeah. time. Yeah. And I heard somebody say that they actually, I probably should mention that the Bill Robain set. I want to talk about that. But okay. I'll just bring it up. They mentioned that they didn't think that Robain using the library music worked. And they said, well, it never really worked for George Romero either or David Cronenberg when they used it. I'm like, no, it did. It worked really well when they used it, especially when it comes to stuff like Night of the Living Dead because Romero's whole aspect was kind of the documentary style. And, mm-hmm. and that, that, it's just like, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a, something that you could argue which one you prefer. 
if you like that music or not. It doesn't always work, not for every movie. But anyways, I loved it. Uh, I'd give it like a four and a half out of five first time watch, just because it, its place in history is also, uh, and it lived up to the hype. It lived yeah. up to where it was supposed to be. To me, it's a five. I mean, yeah, given I, what it is, and is it the most important film ever made? No. Is it? Is it important at all? No. Yeah, no, you can go your entire life and not watch this. Yeah, no. If it didn't um, exist, if this movie didn't exist, a lot wouldn't be here. A lot. When it comes to uh, like gay cinema or subversive yeah, cinema I guess, or trans- okay. transgressive, so there's so much that wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people, same thing with Richard Gordon Lewis, even if you don't like his movies, mm-hmm. he was a guy who didn't like, make, he didn't give a shit about the movies, but he still did a bunch of shit no one else did and got away with it. So it's like, there's that. But John Waters also made a bunch of movies that. I guess I appreciate John Waters for the sake of being John Waters. Yeah, but also John Waters cared, and he had comedy and oh, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah I, love, I love the movie. Um, next week, I don't know. Probably do a You Ain't Seen, but I don't know if I want to have you watch a John Waters movie or just do something do from 1970. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll just do uh, Dorian Gray from 1970. With Herbert Lom? Yeah. And, and um, Helmut Berger. But the funny thing is, this is directed by Massimo Dallamano, uh, I think is how you say his name. Massimo. <laughs> but uh, he also did What Have You Done to Solange? And you know that one, right? Yeah, I've never seen that Kamel one. But I, I, the trailer is trailer. amazing. And What Have You Done to Our Daughters? And he's a solid director. Um, but this one is a super fucking sleazy, um, sleazy version. And Wait, I what are we watching? Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray. Okay. AKA The Secret of Dorian Gray. Rarell put out it. I saw it years ago. But I'd really like to revisit it for 1970. I think that you might get a kick out of it. Um, and Herbert Long. All these 1970 movies. Because I'm watching them anyways. And I don't want to rewatch them unless you watch them. Because mm. I think that you can put some insight in Oh, it. we have to watch uh, Bird with a Crystal Bloom. We'll wait until the 4K comes out to watch it. Oh. Okay. It's coming out this month. This month. Yeah. All right. Well, I got my movie pick for next time. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. No, I'm not great that pick. one. <laughs> All right, oh. so next week, historian Gray. Um, Pink Flamingos is not in any of the movie books because apparently it's not a tear on tape or a creature feature. Although, which is weird. although Divine said she never wanted to be a drag queen, she wanted to be Godzilla. That makes That's sense from John Waters, and and she does kind of act like Godzilla sometimes and, and throw these temper tantrums because she's a spoiled kid. Divine is absolutely amazing. Yeah, we didn't talk about um, him enough. No, we, we didn't. I mean, like, Divine inspired a Disney villain, one of the best Disney villains. It changed the, the look of drag queens, right? That's I, According to John Waters, they said drag queens before that were all just kind of like the 50s-style house. They one, were. Skinny and pretty and just the stereotypical... I mean, Divine is like the, the archetype. I mean, that that's... John Waters is one of the counterculture heroes mm-hmm. of cinema. Like me. And, like, even if, like, there's a lot of those guys, like, you might not agree with them anymore or what they did, but, eh, like, that's one thing, too. I know people, like, love to hate on Quentin Tarantino. They love it. Maybe you don't like his movies. Maybe you think they're self-indulgent. But at the end of the day, Quentin Tarantino has helped a lot of movies get rediscovered, and and there's a love for cinema there, and he's helped mm-hmm. cinema in general. So, I uh, fucking... I mean, I probably would have never seen Lady Snowblood if it weren't for Kill Bill. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. But there, here's a funny thing I always see. People are like, here's horror fans in a nutshell. And I know people are going to hate on me for this, and I don't give a fuck because I think it's hilarious. Horror fans will be like, Tarantino's a hack and a rip-off artist. My favorite directors are Hershey Gordon Lewis and Bruno <laughs> Mattei. <laughs> and I love Bruno Mattei too, all right? 
But you cannot say that shit about Quentin Tarantino and then turn around and be like, Hell, Living Dead's a goddamn masterpiece, man. Remember when the, the rat eats, this, eats the guy and he don't do nothing? Or remember when they ripped Dawn of the Dead's music? You can't praise Bruno Mattei and hate Quentin Tarantino for the same shit, all right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You just sound like a hypocrite. You sound delusional. Just There's reasons to dislike any director, okay? You, you can do it. But it's just funny to me. People will be like, oh, I hate this guy because he's a ripoff artist. But then you'll like sing the praises of Bruno Mattei. Yes, we know Bruno Mattei had $3 to work with. But still, he's blatantly ripping them off and not doing it as well as a lot of other people. Not sliding it in there and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it just cracks me up. Uh, I'm done. You? Yeah, I was done like five minutes ago. We were done like three hours ago. Yeah. I'd like to close with the original trailer New Line Cinema used to sell Pink Flamingos. Notice, no footage from the actual movie is ever shown. Did you happen to hear about it? From some friends who saw it and thought it was absolutely marvelous. Probably, I'll be very insulted. Rex Reed, Reed told us that it's uh, fabulous. Would you come out at midnight to see it? Why go home at midnight? What are you going to see there? I guess there are just two kinds of people: Miss Sandstone, my kind of people, and Fantastic! Third time I've been to it. It's an incredible head thing for people. Oh, it's marvelous. Absolutely. Most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Not to be believed. Absolutely outrageous. <laughs> it was divine. Fabulous. I think it's the future of city living. Um, fantastic. It was really fun. Excellent. Yes. Loved it. Really good. Really good. Right? It's great. Piece of garbage. I have an aversion to snakes. It was divine. I love religious movies. It's a little gross, but I liked it. Well, it was uh, really the grossest film I'd seen. I think John Waters has got his finger on the pulse of America. I think he's got his thumb securely up America's ass. I enjoy dirty things as much as everyone else does, but this isn't even dirty. It's just disgusting. Okay, let's get into the questions here. So, um, Milo, Milo169. Hey, Mr. Parker, I love your 1970 reviews. So many interesting movies I need to check out. I definitely agree with what you said last week. For me, it's easier to get into and appreciate older movies because they are part of horror history. To me, the history and evolution of the horror genre and all the subgenres is one of the most fascinating aspects of horror films. Also, I hate to correct you, but Paranoid is from Black Sabbath's second album. He is correct. Same year, though, 1970, as the first album. In answer to the question, I am mostly influenced by podcasts. I basically ask, how do you determine what you watch? I mostly am influenced by podcasts like 22 Shots, uh, the podcast Under the Stairs, and your weekly updates, for example. I also like listening to audio documentaries by film historians, and if they bring up an interesting movie that I've never heard of, I'll try to check it out. Travis Wright, I have a hard time deciding what to watch, but if a podcast I like is covering something, I'll be meaning to watch that helps, or sometimes just going through a series of films in blind spots with certain actor or director. 
Thanks for doing these videos, man. I enjoy them every week. I just don't always get around to commenting in time, or I don't think I have anything to add. No, thanks for thanks for watching. I appreciate it. Ja Punk, Mr. Parker, interesting intro for the 1970 reviews. The clips you pick have dramatic tension and foreboding over the quick cuts and gore of later air cinema. Um, I was immediately drawn to the news items of the U.S. invasion of Cambodia, in part because between the at that event and the murder of protesters at Kent State, Ohio, uh, was the factors that fueled an open rebellion. Stop. Hey, what's that sound? Sorry, he didn't write that, but I just wanted to sing that song. I think nationwide walkouts happen in K through 12 schools, not seen until Black Lives Matter. I am drawn to the horror genre and how it makes great strides to confront aspects the mainstream society is suppressing. That quote about Joe Dante walking out of a movie I heard him refer to being Swamp Thing is interesting contemplating when a person can champion low-budget films like he did, as you and many of us have, and at a certain point, just relent. It is, man. Everybody's got their breaking point. I mean, we all watch movies and, like, somebody finding hidden gems amongst new movies is a young man's job. Did it for a long time. Maybe to no effect at all, but I did it. Um, and I do find a lot of gems I loved, and they're great movies. But I just read an... I'll wait for somebody else to do that for me now. I just read an interview with Wes Craven where he noted how he grew up not watching horror films and how this set him in a different mindset than directors who did. I do catch Joe Dante in a weekly podcast, Trailers from Hell, that often directs me to movies worth more worth my eyes open eyes hey your weekly show does too i get a uh, synopsis a brief look at the film and your hot take which is trustworthy also i kind of like these youtube channels so small there's no commercials um if there are commercials it's out of my hand it's like clips i use or trailers we'll put the commercials in i do not add them myself um the uh, this other maniac schlockmeister is on here on five on youtube five times a week giving a rundown of overlooked smut why the fuck would i ever need disney plus or whatever and no commercials the age of media democracy is quite intoxicating <laughs> i noticed that the maniac formerly ghostbait one is back on youtube and his appreciation of lowbrow films i appreciate he does research on the films and makes an effort to convince us of his findings i used to feel the same way about cinema cinemasochist and good bad flicks so these are some examples of people who are influential when i do get to spend a good two hours in the movie world i also just recently got into checking uh out regularly what's leaving the streaming channels prime netflix with a threat of extinction i have sometimes more willing to check out something outside my comfort zone um and he uses the website uh expiring titles on amazon prime blogspot i like what other people here in the comments section say about world inspiring uh what stories to cap the night with uh, like the death of an industry person. Did you know Richard Donner created his last name to reference infamous Donner Party? Fucking punk rock. I did not know that. That is interesting, though. I figured that was just his name. Uh, that's very cool. And when you see, like, think Richard Donner, big Hollywood director, you don't think, like, he would start off by doing something punk rock like that. But everybody's young at one point. Everybody does some pretty crazy things. And eventually we all get old. And maybe that our outside image is not exactly every little detail about us, right? Isimisio, your Kindle is adorable. So much more convenient than printing these things out. I did this week, though. Um, my copy of Dead and Buried won't be here until July 20th. Lucky you got yours so fast. Great film. Brutal kills. I typically pick films based on current mood, season, weather. Huge weather person. If it's gloomy, rainy, snowy outside, I have to have a film that syncs with the weather. Also, 2021 films, or whichever new year we are in, currently doing a bad job at it and older films that are released slash restored on newer formats i'm not a big on blind buying stuff so i'll buy movies that i've seen before on vhs dvd tv childhood or if it's newer i'll stream it and if i like it i'll add it to the collection living in new york a city space is always an issue i try to keep my purchases to a minimum if i can help it i actually hit a point too where i used to go on family videos like uh years back and just come out with a stack this high and like probably like five six years ago i was like this is not doing me well like 
I do not need to own like certain. Let's just look at some of the movies you end up walking out of I family video with. Just shit that like All Hallows Eve too. It's like I'm probably never gonna watch that, unfortunately. So why did I buy it? Um, Micah Adub, I always mispronounce your name, and I know one time you actually put it for me too, and I just dumb don't remember it. How do I determine oh, what to watch? Usually, I pick a movie from my collection I purchased but I haven't watched yet. Once I'm caught up on that list, I either choose a movie based on what the weather is like outside. I know, weird, huh? Or I'll choose something I haven't seen in a while. Barry A K A B T K. Answer to the question of the week in the last few years, podcasts and social media geared towards new genre news, announcements, and reviews. Podcast examples being Mr. Parker's Weekly Reviews and Update, Diabolique Magazine, and Important Cinema Club. What a boutique label sells can also influence me somewhat because I'll investigate a director or a title history online for how a movie is regarded by genre critics and fans alike. Nick Moore, I've always held off on watching Dead and Buried. A mistake. I intend to correct ASAP. Professor Parker, thanks for shining a spotlight on the film. No professor. I can't even read, apparently. <laughs> As to how do I decide what to watch, mostly it depends on what mood I'm in in that particular day. If I'm feeling inquisitive, I'll watch a biopic or historical drama. When I'm feeling lazy, I'll watch a comedy or a film I've seen a million times before. Or I can watch every day of the week. Also seeing you gushing and waxing lyrical about particular films makes me want to watch it too. Nine times out of ten, I really enjoy what you recommend. Questions. Which animal works the best or is the most frightening in when animals attack movie? Can, can't imagine a goldfish or some other small pet being scary. Then again, we'll always have Night of the Lepus. Attention. Atten ladies and gentlemen, attention. There's a herd of killer rabbits headed this way and we desperately need your help. Um... Big cats scare the shit out of me because they are dangerous. And I used to have dreams of like lions that would talk. And they were just like, I was its friend at one point that like got out. Of, I don't even know. But I just remember it like walking outside my back door, staring at me through the glass saying, I'm going to kill you. Basically talking. And it, ugh. I don't know. That's like a Disney live action come to a horrible nightmare. Um, big cats, anything aquatic. Because you can't see what's underneath you. Sharks, crocodiles, alligators. Um, hippos are scary as shit. Not seen many killer hippo movies. Probably because the adorable Hungry Hungry Hippos game. And people just don't assume hippos are dangerous. But they very much are. Uh, a lot of people are scared of spiders and snakes. And that kind of thing. Anything venomous. So anything venomous. Um, and then on top. Um, I would say um, big carnivores. Like lions and bears. And then aquatic. Those always scare the shit out of me. Sharks are probably the number one, even though they stopped trying to make good shark uh, movies a long time ago. Has any animal ever attacked you? Because I had an unpleasant encounter with a large dog recently. I got bit by a green anole. Most people call them chameleons, but they're not chameleons. The little green anole lizards that you buy in the store. Yeah, I got bit by one of those when I was four years old in the Bahamas. I tried to grab him. I was only four. He bit me right here. Rightfully so, because I shouldn't have been messing with him. But I remember screaming. like a, a, I was like, ah, shaking him off. And some old lady's like, serve you right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So which, I was like four though. So, But which uh, film you watched with your parents when you were young is really etched in your memory? For me, it's Jurassic Park with my mom and a childhood friend and her mother. Oh, that's a good question. My mom was like the coolest. So like I'd always make her watch shit. I remember making her watch Nightbreed. And I was like, did you know that, uh, did you know Decker was the, uh, and she's like, yeah. I got that. I'm glad. I was like, I didn't spoil it for you, though. She's like, no, you did good with that. I remember watching Nightbreed. Um, I remember she turned off Carnosaur. She was not happy about a woman giving birth to a dinosaur. She's like, all right, it's enough of that. That's insulting. And I think she was insulted. I think her, like, intelligence was insulted. So she turned off Carnosaur. Um, 
I remember like she'd watch stuff with me. Um, she used to do uh, watch some of the cartoon shows with me, or she at least like sing them to me when I was a kid. Like when I asked the Skinner Rinky Rinky Dink, I remember singing that. Um, but I remember making her watch Nightbreed and stuff like that, and just dumb movies that I liked when my dad was like uh, on a trip or something like that. Um, she she was cool, and she'd always drive me to the video store. My mom was the sweetest person. It, like, a, I know it's weird. It's not like you guys can go do this, but ask any of my friends growing up. Um, my parents were like everybody's favorite parents, especially my mom, just because she was so sweet and to everybody. And she was a, she was a smart woman too. She was a, a math teacher. She had a master's degree and everything like that. So yeah, I still miss my mom to be honest. Like especially when it comes to like anything movie related, ask because you know growing up the movie related stuff was directly, oh no, I got it, I got it. It's the stand. Me and my mom went and rented each tape of The Stand and brought it back. My mom loved Stephen King, so we'd watch The Stand. We watched all of it. Um, yeah. We liked Stu Redman, I think, growing up. She liked Stu. Yeah. Yeah, I remember renting The Stand. We watched The Golden Years together. Uh, those big kind of epic Stephen King TV miniseries. Yeah. It'd be The Stand. So, Micah Doob, uh, I missed the narration in trailers. You don't hear that anymore. Now they flash taglines across the screen one word at a time at rapid fire. Or they'll put up a whole tagline way too fast for you to read. I miss it, too. Like, there's so many good ones. Like All of them are embedded in my head. Um, like when we I did the 85 clips, it was so cool to be like, House, George Romero, Day of the Dead. Like The narration, Like I always remember Day of the Dead first. He brought you... Uh, the most frightening horror film of all time. Then he took his unique vision further. And now, George Romero brings you out of the night, beyond the dawn, into the darkest day of horror the world has ever known. Uh, yeah, that narration shit was great. Or Neon Maniacs. Um, uh, there's a 12 reasons to be afraid of the dark, and everyone's a killer. Oh man, that shit was just gold to me. Like, yeah, I love it too. I really truly do. Like, those trailers used to be the best. Even the bad movies, like, the trailers are so awesome. Uh, Chris Harper, waiting for my copy of Panic and Year Zero from Amazon. A great video. Thank you. Um, Bad Brains, Horror. Hey, Dave. Dead and Buried is the perfect movie to double feature with Carpenter's The Fog. How do I determine what to watch? Big pile of blue and DVD and mostly your recommendations. What to watch? Uh, write down your picks and watch on streaming or rent if I don't own. Find out about a ton of great films from Mr. Parker Show and a few other channels. Ordered seven titles from the Severn Sale. Zombie 3, Zombie 4, Enigma, Devil's Honey, The Wax Mask, and Vi. That's some great choices. Um, Zombie 3 is such a blast. Zombie 4 is such an insane blast. Enigma, um, the se by the second time watching that one, I truly loved it. Devil's Honey, a great, fulchy, weird movie. The Wax Mask is really cool and entertaining. And Vi, man, that's that's really good folklore. And uh, stuff that um, I know Richard Stanley um, is not, uh, obviously not a great guy. But uh, that documentary... Uh, the little feature that he talks about Vi on there is very interesting um, and good. So um, then we have Ken Coakley. I have a rather unorthodox way of deciding what to watch. I'm from an era of drive-ins, so I look at vintage drive-in ads on the net. For example, I saw an ad for the Abominable Dr. Fives, Dr. Fives Rises Again, Count Yorga, uh, vampire and the return of count yorga sometimes they do a marathon of an actor or a director a month ago when richard rush died i watched a richard rush double feature hell hell's angel on wheels then psych out both films also starring jack nicholson adam Rourke, and gary kent very cool and i'm sure you'll probably be watching a william smith double feature uh, this week r.i.p william smith 
this is recorded uh, day or this is a Saturday. What day is it? It's recorded July 10th. I think he was just announced dead July 9th. So David Brandt, really dig Dead and Buried, Mortuary and House on Sorority Row, which I also own the soundtrack too. You got some great pickups there. The Hot Spot is decent. Runaway Train is terrific, and I recommend you'll enjoy Wild Geese and its sequel. Not as bad as his reputation. Awesome reviews, buddy. Thank you. Liam26, hey man, great vids. First time comment, long time fan. Thought you were great and headless. Thank you very much. Um, Renee Royer, usually I just watch everything and anything I can find. Podcasts, Facebook groups, YouTube, and Letterboxd help with finding new material. But mostly I find myself going back and reading old and newer books or magazines on the genre. When I'm watching something and I like it, I'm checking in that movie database and usually find other stuff from the actor, actress, or director. Jan Ch Dan Chase, my girl, social media, streaming services, trailers, in that order. Jan, uh, Dan Chase has got a podcast called Cut to the Chase where him and his girlfriend Lacey Liu, they do interviews, reviews, and everything. Check them out. Good people. And also Lacey Liu has got a really good podcast called the Slumber Party uh, uh, is it Massacre Podcast or Sleepover Podcast? Basically on that title. But there's four uh, co-hosts on there. It's Lacey Liu, um, um, geez, Rebecca Reinhardt, Carly, and Heather, and Powell, and they all are from other podcasts. They do a great job. Very good show. There's five. Nikki as well. Um, from, so check that out. Good podcast. Seth Pollen, I stare at my collection for about a half an hour, and eventually something pops out at me, unless I just got something in that I'm super excited to check out right away. Exactly. I just like wander in here, and I'm like, uh, and I just look at the back of covers for an hour. Jason Lindbergh, same answer. Rob Ko Kopinski, usually what uh, what pops up on the family's radar, fan, friends via podcast, my own personal interest, the collection, etc. Derek B., a little of all. Lacey Lou, as of lately, it's been all just prep for podcast. If I have free time, though, I try to hit the newest films that are in theaters or on streaming. Social media def helps define which ones should be priority. For example, Fear Street versus The Forever Purge based on reviews. I would be more likely to check out Fear Street before heading to the theater to check out Forever Purge. But also the trailers for those two could have told me that. Um, yeah, from my understanding, uh, Forever Purge is not very good. I actually turned Purge 2 off. <laughs> not not for me jason hammond uh randomness and luck dustin mills this is obviously a joke but it cracks me up uh, making fun of two different groups of people i basically i just exclude anything that has practical core it's always so stupid looking so i never watch old movies they look so fake so basically anything with tons of cgi and none of that rubber bullshit from the 80s aka the worst decade for movies I know that there was a bunch of reviews like Bad Mouth and the Thing on Letterboxd that were saying how bad the rubber fake stuff looked. And then also the fact that 90% of horror fans hate CGI so much it's all they can talk about. So there's a double, double joke there. Uh, Nathan Thomas Mailander, director or writer are usually my first triggers. If it's a director or writer's work I enjoy, that's what initially sparks my interest. David Michigan Garrett Jr., I'm indecisive, so I create a list of movies and just work through that. It is a combination of movies I own but haven't watched, podcast recommendations, and new movies catching my interest brandon young letterbox for the most part i look at what's trending with friends and then we'll go from there i don't watch trailers read reviews or anything like that until i after i see the movie including reading fangoria so i'm as blind as possible going into things it's a good way to be a lot of times danny frank attempt to watch one of the newer podcast uh, purchases and then go for something i've seen before i've been so terrible about that lately mike merriman show prep movies i'm interested in from seeing trailers or reading about them ahead of time and then recommendations either directly or based on what folks whose opinions i value are saying i honestly don't have a ton of time for random blind watches these days rye guy this is a very long one so bear with me what if i should save that to the very end um but okay 
I guess you find a rhythm to it, just like anything else. For the most part, I'm stuck in the past when it comes to films, and I love it better that way, too. That's not in any slight on new, all newer films, either. Just to say that my own personal opinion and take on the matter is that I think most often than not, most newer films just suck and are not all that great. Not much to write home about. There have been a good number of newer films out there, but most do not in any way, shape, or form stick with me. I'm usually, I'm definitely usually always willing to give things a chance, but I find that when I usually do, I'm let down a lot. Podcasts and streaming are always good for that, though. At least that way you can determine what you like, don't like. Then if you thought it was atrocious, just don't buy it. Much less go back to it. That's my one big takeaway with streaming platforms that can untimely help you decide to to decide that as a physical media collector and i always be it at least helps to have such means as these so this way whoever you watch and listen to on the matter can sometimes help you in that especially if you trust the word sometimes almost nothing better than trusting your very own judgments as well as damn good buddies who trust even more than some joe blow Sometimes you got to take chances and risk in that way. Usually if I'm already thinking, uh, meh about it, chances are I won't care for the movie. And it doesn't matter how long it's been out either. Of course, there are those occasional times when I'm proven wrong, but not much. It's like you said, a rabbit hole. You go down it and just sometimes hope for the best. I used to uh, buy brand new movies way back in the day without ever hear, uh, having seen them or knew anything about it. Um, just straight up blind buys. Ended up regretting it time and time again. Having done, haven't done that for years and years on end. So over the years, I've become way more concise and leery about that, especially as far as the newer films go. So you either wise up about it or you don't. As a collector, you want to be somewhat smart about it, even just the slightest bit, instead of just always buying everything in sight. If not, you'll have a whole lot of shit you either regret buying or even doubles for that matter, and now you run out of space. Just all kind of, kind of depends on how you look at it, as I suppose. Actors and directors are simple. If I like slash love their work, then I follow them. Just being aware and open-minded about things and everything you listen to and or watch, whatever it be. If you listen to enough podcasts, watch enough films, and hang around like-minded individuals, then it's bound to happen. The more and more you consume yourself with everything daily, you're going to pick up on things and notice basically everything everyone already said and more, lol, to me. Most independent films are killing it, even way more than the bigger budget films, at least with those. They're taking far more chances and risk. India is the way to go a lot of times, even just go down a rabbit hole that is Tubi and YouTube. You'll find yourself lost, but by the end of it, you'll come out that much more with an encyclopedia implanted into your brain. LOL. Christopher Bickle, suggestions from Facebook groups a lot of the time. John Bludgeoned, I watch your weekly YouTube show and it gives me ideas for movies I haven't watched in a while or introduces me to something new. I also follow what's coming to Severn, Arrow, Scream, and a couple other labels. Also watch the odd Netflix or Prime new release, but most of the times that shit is lame. Skip Barber, I try to watch Dave's weekly show, if time permits. Other films are by actor and director. Robert Barry Franco's. I'm totally open to streaming. Tubi and Netflix, the only one I pay for. Digital DVD, Blu-ray. The cover or name or cast catches my eye. I'll give it a time. Whatever the languages are, as long as they are, there are English subtitles. So this week, I feel like I've probably done this question before, but I want to you guys to throw out a, a double feature that you would program or put on at your house. And for me, there's two. I would absolutely love to put on Night of the Living Dead followed by Return of the Living Dead. Kind of just like rewriting history. So a rewriting history double feature. Like, what if Return of the Living Dead was the only sequel to Night of the Living Dead? And just look at it at that aspect. So the that idea that the true sequel to Night of the Living Dead is Return of the Living Dead is awesome because they have a great connection. And another one, for example, that I would absolutely adore doing is putting Zombie 
the original the zombie and then dawn of the dead like put zombie as a prequel to dawn of the dead like zombie's the first one so we see like the beginning of the outbreak and it ends them getting off the you know the captain uh Haggerty walking to like the shore well that's just a picture of that but the zombie's on the bridge so it ends in a kind of way and then we have dawn of the dead so it's just like a prequel so rewriting history double feature make your own sequels double feature that's what i'm going for those are my two examples. I know this is going to be a hard question. I'm probably not going to be uh, get very many answers, but that's all right. So let's hop into the update. All right, we got a 4K set here. I uh, got this good price, 20 bucks, all three in 4K. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, The World's End. I really like all three of these. Uh, very entertaining movies. Uh, I know some people don't really care for Shaun of the Dead. I think they're crazy. Anyways, love these. Love uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Great stuff. And then we have Dead Ringer with uh, Betty Davis, Carl Malden, Peter Lawford, Warner Brothers disc. Not seen this one, but picked it up. Can't roll wrong with Betty Davis. And School Live, the movie. This was a good price on here. Zombie, Japanese movie, based off a of manga, I believe. Survive the zombie apocalypse. Girls just want to... <laughs> They cross off, have fun, and write that. That that does not have a flow at all. Uh, so, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of zombie films, Japanese cinema. This looks like it could be fun. I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> Is it a musical? Action live version. So maybe it's anime before. And then we have the six-movie collection of Paranormal Activity. I agreed to do this summer thing with Jeremy. He's going to have, on uh, 22 Shots, he's going to have to watch the Twilight movies because I was mad that he got out of it. And I'm going to have to watch the Paranormal Activity movies because I got out of that one. So, yeah. Anyways, I've not seen these. These never looked like they were up my alley. But the price was good on this. I don't know. I don't hate them. I haven't seen them. It's just, I just didn't know that. They didn't look like there was something I would enjoy. So I just avoided them. I, I know that's kind of whatever. But, hey, it's a very short update. So see you guys next time. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Yeah. breakfast at Jericho. What? Waffles. Shut up. Start your movie. Bring the walls down, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is You Ain't Seen. Do you know Chris Jericho, the wrestler? He had a... Uh, his music when he came out was Bring the Walls Down. That's terrible. It was back in like, the Attitude Era. Chris Jericho's <laughs> awesome.